Hey, Alex. Hi, Patrick. In theory, this is running right now, is on the page, people are watching it, but I'm, I'm going to preface that all within theory. Yes, I, I, I'm looking at the chat right now. I'm not seeing reactions yet, but I'm just going to assume. Well, we, the last right time now, we tried to do this, the last time we did do this, we actually yeah. did it. It wasn't a try. We did it. Uh, yeah. It was on like a pretty significant delay. Like it would seem right. like it was maybe five to ten seconds behind. So we're just going to assume, because otherwise when we did that before, we definitely sat there for <laughs> an extended period of time waiting to see if people were uh, responding. Um, we are learning lessons here as we go, as we try this out. As it's going, it's going. Happen. I just checked. I just checked. We're All good. right, that's good. Um, so how about, you were in San Francisco this past week. I was! Which is, why, which is why we didn't do anything more than the follow-up there. But this also gave us an opportunity. Uh, the funniest people a part of Giant Bomb are located in the SF office. So I wanted you to be out there to try and pitch them on... A name for this thing, other than yeah. otherwise it was otherwise it was probably just going to be called Patrick and Alex's Untitled Morning Thing, and then it would go on YouTube, on iTunes, and we kind of need to make the change soon, otherwise right. our system automatically populates it onto iTunes, and we'd be sort of stuck with that name. And um, it's like we already have an Untitled Movie Podcast, so to have multiple Untitled projects <laughs> going around would just be very confusing. But I do so. like the idea of maybe just an Untitled pull down bar on the site where it's just we are. We're that lazy to come up with actual naming schemes. I mean, people think Quick Look, it sounds like genius in retrospect when that was not, that was a total accident too. Quick Look, oh, yeah. Quick Look just stuck. And that was the same with Spooking with Scoot. I mean, actually, there's a long history of giant bomb features just sort of sticking because we were uh, unwilling to actually sit down and have a proper naming convention. But it's part of the Our, reason uh... the site works. Our new uh, wrestling podcast, which will go up after this is uh, this is all over here today. Uh, literally, the first thing I thought of was Powerbomb Cast, and then I sat there and I thought like of you know like seven other names. I was like, nope, none of these matter. Powerbomb Cast, that's it. That's the best one by far. <laughs> yeah, once once one feels not shitty, uh, yeah. like when, once you can live with one of them, I feel like that's that's when you should just kind of let it settle and and go with that one. But uh, so you so you got a chance mm -hmm. to th throw it to them, and then on aim, literally moments ago. You, you gave me a list of several. You had one that was sort of the preference of Jeff, and that one made me crack up. So why don't, why don't, you, why don't you unveil yeah. what we are calling this thing? Uh, well, so Jeff's whole thing, Jeff gave me several variations, uh, but all of them ended with, with Scoops and the Wolf. <laughs> I don't really know why. I mean, I know why you're Scoops. I get that. That's, that's, that is established canon within the Giant Bomb universe. Uh, I don't know why I am the wolf. I, I Maybe it's the beard. Maybe it's the sort of high-pitched whine of my voice. Sounds sort of like an ow kind of thing. I don't know. <laughs> so there you go. There you go right there. But I guess now I am the wolf, which, you know, the more I say it, the more I kind of feel at home with it. Like, yes. I feel like that is my spirit animal all along. Scoop, scoops was the same way. You just got to embrace it. So the, the, I guess the full title is Bombing the A.M., with Scoops and the Wolf. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we'll keep the bomb in the AM part. That was just something I threw out there. I kind of, um, I kind of like that because you get the bomb yeah. in the AM. That's the that bomb in the AM with Scoops and the Wolf here on WBOM in the morning. Right, and now that we've said it out loud, it's too late, and people will make yeah. a logo for it. So uh, whether or not that was you just adding it the last second, uh, I think it, I think it's it might, done. I think it might be too late. Uh, yeah. Well, plus, that's good. I'm, I'm totally okay with that. Plus, we've at least tried to in the past, like get the name 
giant bomb or a form of it in in the name itself so that when it does populate on on itunes at least at least like some sort of reference to the weird website that this yeah. came from if people want to find out more <laughs> i think i think bomb is a pretty useful word you can use it a lot of different ways you know it it, it definitely like it seems to fit into a lot of the dumb shit we want to do it's Except you know, that movie podcast we still can't find a way to make that work but we'll find a way eventually don't use it at the airport that's definitely no. like step no. one i've learned is don't use don't say that you're from Giant Bomb if you are traveling internationally. In fact, for a while, you almost couldn't even really say, like, it was even weirder to say uh, Whiskey Media. That wasn't any more yeah. descriptive. Um, all of that also, sounded like you were just a burnout. <laughs> Do not wear the t-shirts through TSA. They don't, they, they frown upon that. Uh, all right, so we are back here. It is Monday. So is. I think, you know, sort of plan is we're going to start out doing this sort of twice a week, you know, Part of the reason we wanted to do it on Monday was that there's just nothing that goes up on the site on Monday. There's a DuckTales quick look this morning, but mm-hmm. by and large, there's usually not a whole lot going up on, on Monday. So we wanted to try and get something on Monday. So I think Monday and Fridays probably make the most yeah. sense. Those are the days when yeah. there's, there's less going on in, in the morning. Um, so I don't know. We, and then we'll, we'll leave it up to our discretion if we want to do it more often. I think the format with the Google Hangout makes it so it's pretty easy to just turn it on. Like if there's some breaking yeah. news or something that we want to do, uh, this actually makes it pretty easy for us to do it. And then also if we want to do something with the guys in, in San Francisco, like it is as simple as just plugging it into to Google. So I don't use a lot. I don't use things like Google Plus, but these Hangouts are actually uh, pretty pretty damn useful. Uh, I think Gary Witta is the only person left still using uh, Google Plus at this point. So, <laughs> well, you know, he, that's, that, I, that's neither here nor there. I remember, like, I he, he was talking about how he got this enormous spike in followers. But then it was, I mean, I, and obviously, you know, he has a much wider reach, you know, being a Hollywood screenwriter and all that. But he, I think he was one of those people that because he was sort of over a certain cusp, he was getting targeted by spammers. And yeah. spamming is, like, a huge problem or at least was a huge problem during the brief period of time that I paid attention to, to Google Plus. Uh, where you get a bunch of fake people, uh, and it's not yeah. super clear how you're supposed to to filter that stuff out. I created a Google Plus account, I don't know, maybe like a month after they launched it, and I have been to that page two times since I, I created my Google Plus page. I, I have, And both those times, it was just to see a bunch of random friend requests and go, nope, don't care, and that was it. I just so. don't, yeah, like I've got nothing against it in theory. I just could not find a reason to use it. So, you know, like, it's, it's just like anything else. Like, when Twitter came along, I didn't get it either. And then you start to find a reason that how it fits in with your voice or what you're doing for a living. You know, Twitter yeah. ended up being a really good communication and promotional tool for communicating with the audience that I have for writing about games. So that made sense. And then Facebook became, well, it's going to be none of that over there. This is just, like, family and friends that I don't ever see. And yes. Google Plus just did not offer a convincing hey, this is how it's supposed to fit into your life. It was more, we made one of these. Uh, yeah, so it exists. It, you know, it exists. And uh, Pocket Droid in the, in, the, in the chat was like, it is a very popular service. Lots of people are using it. People who don't like it just don't understand it. You know what? You're right. I don't understand it's, it. And maybe, yeah. And if someone wants to uh, potentially give me an argument, I'm willing to listen to it. But I think people have talked plenty about Google Plus in the past. So why don't we... Why don't we talk about video games? Yeah, why don't you... You throw the first okay. headline. I want to hear right. your first headline. All right, so I, th- I think the, the, the big news that broke last week that we didn't... I don't think they would have had a chance to talk to on, on the podcast. I only get about like halfway through the podcast. I, can, I, yeah. I don't know who you crazy people are that listen to three and a half hour podcasts every week. I get the, maybe the, 
two hours yeah. in and I lose not interest. I just run out of time. It's suddenly Sunday again. I know what you mean. But in any case, uh, on Wednesday morning, uh, John Carmack announced that he was going to be. I mean, you were on it. You can t- you can tell me if you guys talked about this. Or not. We did, did not talk about this right. on the podcast. Okay, so I thought this was Wednesday morning. So John Carmack joined uh, Oculus as a CTO. Um, the big confusion that kind of came out of that news, obviously, was well, what does this mean for its software? You know, I right. immediately in the press release that Oculus sent out, they weren't very clear, uh, and then in my subsequent follow-ups with Bethesda slash Zenimax, Pete Hines, who is, he kind of does PR for a bunch of those guys uh, all at once, despite primarily sort of identifying with Bethesda. And, you know, a bit he released to me was, uh, John has long been interested in the work of Oculus VR and wishes to spend time on that project. The technical leadership he provides for games and development in software is unaffected, which I then responded to Pete saying, that doesn't answer my question at all like that of course it doesn't is i was like is he an employee like that was sort of you know the idea of him splitting his time between outside ventures is not new he's also got the the rocket company whose name escapes me at the moment but it's not new for him so for me what was important was is he is he is he employed you know is he still technically working there as an employee uh, regardless how much time he spends there and then i eventually was able to to get a follow-up that said that yes he is Technically still an employee. Um, and then Carmack went on Twitter later that day and I think said sort of the splitting he's doing between his time is Oculus, id, and then Rocket Company. Uh, so yes. I think for, you know, for all intents and purposes, he does not work at id anymore. He does, right? Like he is still going to be, I think, I interpret this to be that he is going to be a consultant going forward. He's like a technology overseer or something, but he is like, I, I get the impression his day-to-day life at id is more or less over. Like, they will bring him in when they need some kind of tech, like you said, consulting or, you know, some, some of them just come in and say, yes, you are doing the right thing here, or no, this engine is garbage, do something else. Uh, but kind of, I, yeah. I can't... I cannot foresee a scenario where John Carmack is staying up 19 hours a day dividing that time where he's actually working as a chief technology officer at, at Oculus Rift, which is gearing up for, you know, their eventual retail launch. Well, Id is is working on Doom 4, uh, you know, theoretically, but at the same time, John has, I, I think, said, you know, his primary thing there was working on the engine, making sure the technology was built in, having all that stuff together. That's theoretically, you would think, mostly done, or at least in a place where he could make this announcement and move over without having to be there all the damn time. And then whatever's going on at the Rocket Company seems to be, like, that That company seems to exist at John Carmack's pleasure. Like, he does that when he wants to do it. And, so I mean, but the weirder yeah. thing is then there was, uh, so people, so what's actually a pretty common reporter tactic is once there is a huge uh, departure at a company uh, is that you should start checking so, like, reporting tip 101, start checking LinkedIn profiles because people right. are really bad at keeping those private. Uh, people get excited about their new thing, and then they immediately yeah. go. And, the, and you know, you can't blame them, but people should know by now to not do that unless when they are doing it, they're trying to subtly give a heads up about what they're doing. I don't give people enough credit for that. I think mostly it's a mistake. So people noticed then that uh, the former creative director of Rage, Matt Hooper, who's also yes. been at, at it for a while, uh, he has and left to go Holland to And Todd left as well, right? Well, he left separately. This was, I know, I'm just saying, I mean, he didn't right. go to this, but I'm saying he also is gone from it. Right, he, he, he had left before, uh, but, you know, Hooper is, is specifically going to, to join Carmack at Oculus, and, you know, you start to add up all those things, and it, it certainly does not paint 
a very pretty picture for id, especially if you combine that with the reports. I think it was Kotaku who had a big profile on yeah. sort of the current, the status of Doom 4 in a post-Rage world. And it certainly described it as a company in turmoil, sort of a company with an identity crisis. And these moves, while add a lot, seem to add a lot of validity to that perhaps being an ongoing problem. I haven't done any of my own uh, sure. independent reporting on that, but just as an outsider, you know, you don't you don't necessarily want to assume the worst case scenario, but this certainly does not make it seem like it is anywhere near the powerhouse that it used to be. And I always had the feeling that the reason id sold to Zenimax and became part of that family was mostly out of desperation to, to remain a viable entity uh, and not necessarily because they wanted to lose their independence. And it sounds like that transition maybe has not gone particularly well, uh, especially because Rage not being a real barn burner didn't probably didn't allow them to dictate their own terms anymore. And, no. you know, if you've kind of followed the narrative from there, you know, again, this is, you know, all just sort of outside hearsay, but it does seem like when you have people like Carmack then saying, well, we're going to go, I'm going to go off and do my own thing with Oculus. I think this is more interesting than the company I started. Right. That, as that company that he, you know, started is working on the fourth version of a long-running franchise, you know, at the moment that it doesn't interest Carmack, that seems to send a bad signal to to perhaps everyone else and perhaps what our expectations should be for, for Doom 4. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, the thing to take away from this, and this is this is another pro tip for the audience out there, whenever there is a, a sudden and intense uh, drain of talent from a, a company, it's never because things are going really well. You know, like, that that doesn't happen. If things are going really well at a company... People stay. People find reasons to stay. Maybe one person leaves because they found some new thing to do. But when you see someone as, as you know, sort of iconic as Carmack moving on to this other thing, you see people like Todd Hollinshead and, and Matt Hooper and all these guys kind of taking off. It's like, it, it, that is a dire indicator that, that things have just gone very, very poorly over there over the course of the, the last couple of years they've been at Bethesda. And, you know, it doesn't help that the original press release for that, that, that Carmack announcement actually literally said... No, he is not at, at at it anymore. He is at Oculus, and they corrected that pretty quickly. And you know, even though there were a bunch of stories that went up before, they were able to correct that. But it sounds like they were under the impression at one point that that at best Carmack's role at ID would be something ex so diminished that he would not technically be a full time employee. So I, I, at this point, you know, I can't foresee a scenario where Carmack's input. Other like I, I see Carmack as, as as almost like a Miyamoto type role, and Miyamoto is I think technically more hands on, but it's like someone they bring out to be like, look, we're doing stuff at QuakeCon. Here's John Carmack because you expect him because if he's not here, oh god, none of you are gonna pay attention to what we're doing. Oh Jesus Christ! Uh, and while I you know respect them being able to kind of keep him roped in for that sort of thing. Uh, in a year or two, I can't even imagine that he's going to have any sort of role over there because I don't even know if it's still going to exist by that point. I mean, is Doom 4 really going to come out? I mean, are we really going to see anything for it? It doesn't seem like it's going in any kind of direction that anyone that anyone is happy about. I mean, the, the one thing I'll say, and then we'll we'll move up, we'll pivot to, yeah. to the next thing, is that the silver lining here could be that I wasn't a big fan of Rage. You know, there was some interesting ideas there. Uh, I don't it's think, not a great game. It just it, there was, but it, it wasn't particularly great. And I think a lot of that was due to the fact that there were people there just making the same game all over again in a different yeah. setting. You know, obviously there was the the 
the vehicle stuff, but they were kind of just making Doom again. And in some ways that felt good. I mean, the combat in Rage was spectacular. Felt really good. Like it At const- times it did. There were parts where that shit got really clunky too. Sure, absolutely. But they, they were certainly iterating on the same things that they were good at, and I didn't feel like they were expanding very well. And so yeah. if you want to look at a silver lining for the future of id, you know, I don't see Bethesda just writing off this investment and the id name still has an enormous amount of clout, but maybe yeah. there's an opportunity for sort of the old guard at id to kind of shuffle along, maybe either move on to other things, you know, go spend their vast amount of money elsewhere, uh, go get interested in things like Oculus and maybe there's an opportunity for some younger uh little more hungry creative types to reform sort of a modern day id to take the principles of the company, which I think are so valuable, but try and find a way to make that company make sense in 2013. Because I don't think the people that are committed to one through eight and the same guns that we've been playing with for, you know, 15, 20 years uh, are are the people to necessarily do that. And maybe their talents are best spent elsewhere because clearly Carmack is still enormously talented. But in terms of game design, uh, you know, maybe you know, maybe it makes sense that he's over at Oculus and and trying to make that stuff work. Yeah, and I and in, in the end, I hope so. I hope that's the case because I I have no desire to see really most any studio go away, especially one that's been around as long as it and is you know kind of has the storied history that it does. And you know, it would be nice to see a new group of talent kind of step up and do something a little bit different with with what they've been doing. I just. When you buy id, you're buying it for a very specific purpose, which in, in a very specific legacy. And knowing what I know about Bethesda these days, I'm not convinced that they are willing to take a lot of risks with this sort of thing. So I get the feeling that even if they do bring up this new level of talent, they're still going to tash them with making Doom games and other things related to the sorts of things they've already been making. So here's hoping I'm wrong about that. All right. Well, very much so. what else... Uh... What do you got to throw at me? So uh, I, I saw on the internet the uh, the Xbox One uh, had a box, and so someone <laughs> unboxed it, and that it uh, comes with some stuff. I'll give uh, I'll give Microsoft credit. Getting ahead of that three months mm-hmm. in advance, it's pretty smart. Pretty yeah, smart. It, is, it is good of them to do that, especially considering there's no way that's a production unit. That is so a pre-production unit they put into a box in roughly the way they expect it will go into the final retail And box. it's like it's wrapped in the plastic, like the little pieces are in the plastic and everything. And Major Nelson is like fumbling to get the things out. Like, oh, oh yeah. I, I, that video was great. It looked like he was... It was adorable. It was, it was totally all adorable. cracked out. Like, oh, it was great. I'm, <laughs> glad they, I'm glad they put that video out for all sorts of reasons. But I guess, I, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of big news in that. I mean, they, they announced that it's coming with a 4K-ready uh, HDMI cable, uh, you know, the basic stuff you'd expect, and then a headset, which I guess was the one thing that people weren't necessarily expecting uh, because they had said before, you know, oh, Connect is good enough to do voice chat now. It's going to be, you know, it, it's going to be the future of voice chat and all that. And then everyone bitched, like, no, we, we, like, I don't care. I don't want that for my voice chat. I would like to have some kind of headset that will, you know, noise cancel and all that kind of stuff. So there is a headset. I don't know how good it is, but it looks like there is a headset that now comes with the box. I mean, it this seems... is yet another. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. It just seemed like that's one of those things that they just needed to take a loss on. Like, whatever yeah. the. It must cost, you know, I'm completely bullshitting here, but like, relative to how much it costs to manufacture an Xbox One. Sure. Like, the amount of bad PR they were getting for the lack of headset was probably worth taking that hit on just including that in every box. 
Well, I mean, they're already losing so much money on this system. Like you said, it, it's it, not that Sony is necessarily going to be turning a profit anytime soon either, but like the 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 $500 cost is not offsetting what they are putting into that thing by any stretch of the imagination. So an extra, you know, like if it's just a cheap, you know, USB or wireless headset, you know, what is that like 30 bucks or something, you know, production at most. So tossing that in there just to kind of continue to try and make people happy as much as humanly possible uh, is a totally reasonable gesture. I just think it's it's funny that, like, at this point now, I can't think of a thing that people have complained about with the Xbox One that they haven't gone, they, they haven't tried to at least placate somehow. It feels like every single, like, thing that people are, are complaining about, with the exception of now people who are complaining about the, uh, the, the DRM features being gone, wanting them back, that's not happening anytime soon. Uh, it seems like they are continuing to just this push of just, we are going to do everything people are unhappy with because, oh God, we really want people to buy this system. Does that look to you like at all desperate? Like, I feel like they're, they should have maybe moved past the point of desperation here. It, it still seems like they're kind of really, really on edge and really trying to get every single thing that people are complaining about into this system in some way. I mean, I think it's, it, it may come across as desperation right now because yeah, you know, we're monitoring this day to day. We're, you know, everyone's very hungry for new information. We're moving towards these launches at, at a pretty quick pace. It's only a couple of months before we're actually to be seeing these things in stores. So today's desperation will come across in maybe two or three years as Microsoft reacting to, you know, fan reaction, fan criticism. And it may look you know, if the Xbox One performs very well in the next couple of years, that will be looked back on as a very positive thing. You know, right now yeah. it, it has, it certainly reeks of desperation, but it does make sense for them to, if they're in a bad, like, okay, if you, you know, if they were in a horrible situation coming out of E3, if you ignore a pretty decent lineup of games, you know, especially something like Titanfall coming to the machine. But mm -hmm. if they're going to dig themselves out of that hole, you kind of want to do it one step at a time because you want to take advantage of every opportunity to look good. So sure. if they were just to turn around and say, let's say they had decided two weeks, three weeks after E3, we're going to make all these changes. If they announce them all at the same time, uh, yeah, that's this big spike of like, great, I'm glad they're doing that. They're listening to people. They're getting it on par with uh, PS4 with the exception of, of the price. Then that, that's sort of, you've tabled that uh, but if you if like every couple of weeks you can announce like okay we're changing this we're listening we're, we're responding to customer feedback you get a sort of a, a sort of you know that, that term the rolling thunder like a of of say, like people saying like they're listening to us they're making these changes like right. yeah I wasn't happy about it before but I'm getting I'm feeling better about it now and so that strikes me as maybe what they're trying to do here like obviously the they were they were able to disclose the information about self-publishing. Uh, earlier than Gamescom where they were going to announce it. So if they were in right. a position where they wanted to just get everything out right away, they could have already been doing that, but they do want to time these things to sort of dominate the news cycle as much as they can. So even though they're in a bad situation, uh, they want to capitalize every time they have sort of a, a piece of good information to share. And yeah, I mean, I think at this point, the only real differentiator is that uh, is that is that price. And, you know, there's all these rumors at this point going around that, they're going to try and address that in some fashion. I, I would be genuinely shocked if there is actually some sort of uh, connectless Xbox One that knocks that price down a hundred bucks 
uh, in November. I think it's more likely that they try and increase the value proposition for that extra hundred dollars, right? Uh, and try and make it seem like you you know you're getting more for your money. And if they can't do that with a Connect, well then okay now we've got a headset in there, we've got a superior cable in there. I don't know if that's going to end up you know me, you know meeting that sort of like demand that pe- that people want, sure. like sort of bloodlust that people want from from the company. But I, I can't I can't imagine them lopping that that price off. But yeah, I mean no. they they seem to be making all the right steps. And you know again a year from now it won't mean a lot of things. And you know it's funny that we're speaking in these terms now, given that. You know, a year ago, the idea that Sony would be the progressive one, uh, sort of trailblazing, would be funny. And I think we're easy to forget that Sony has done a pretty poor job with PlayStation Network, even to this point. It's much better than it was at launch, but Xbox Live, for lack of a better term, is sort of the gold standard for, for running a console online infrastructure. And Xbox Live has never compromised your account information, has right. uh, has only seriously gone down... Uh, I believe that one Christmas, other than the times then it, that it's had like uh, network interruption that's been scheduled, uh, PlayStation Network's had a lot more issues, and I'm still not 100% confident that Sony is in a position to make this enormous leap on day one with the PS4. If they can, that's great. Maybe they have made those strides, but I think right now we're, we're there's a lot of riding high on rhetoric and mm-hmm. on promise, and at least in terms of the fundamentals, uh, Microsoft has a much better track record of having the basic stuff down for producing a console uh, uh, online experience that, that people are, are happy with. You know, I am certainly still think they're crazy to hide things like Netflix and Skype behind a gold service, especially now. I think there was that fake Kaz Harai account that said, well, if you want to access Skype, you can do it for free on your Vita but you have to pay to do it on your Xbox One, which I feel is the height of hypocrisy for a Microsoft-owned service uh, that they are are hiding that behind uh, gold. And hopefully that stuff like that is is things they'll disconnect as as we go forward because I think the the biggest issue they have, for me personally, is that the only reason I continue to have a gold account is because every Christmas Microsoft sends me a code they send mm-hmm. them out to uh, certain members of the press. It's just like, Merry Christmas. Here's 12 months of Xbox Live. Because if I did wasn't getting that, that thing would lapse so hard because I have zero interest in spending 50 bucks on it. And it's because and it. as a gold service, they're not giving me a good argument. And I don't think they're right. giving a good argument for other people. And the best way that, that this will happen is l- I think people will continue to pay for gold. But what, they need, what Sony needs to do is provide a compelling service that... Uh, compels microsoft to say hey we can't keep hiding these things behind gold well there's so there's there's two quick rebuttals to that one is that uh you're correct that the the microsoft like you said the microsoft uh servers and online services are generally a lot more reliable and better than than what the playstation network has but man playstation plus has lapped gold so many times around over the last couple of years like as a premium service if they could get their servers and like the consistency of online play up to the same standard of what like you know 360 multiplayer service is at this point there would be like i it wouldn't even be a competition because plus has like i didn't sign up for plus until like a year and a half after they launched that thing because i was like i don't care about it i like why do i want to get to play the games for free i don't need any of this stuff as soon as I got it, I started downloading all these free games and I started actually playing them and doing, you know, like actually using the things the service is supposed to be giving me. None of like the gold stuff 
that I, I get, like, the, other than being able to play games online, do I use at all? Like, I, I use Netflix on PS3 now because it's easier. It's like, has a better interface as far as I'm concerned. So beyond that, it's like, other than playing games in multiplayer, I never use 360 online. I, it, none of the, the gold stuff means dick to me at this point. The other thing is, Xbox did have some account compromising issues at, at various times. There was that whole FIFA, EA Sports issue where oh, a bunch sure. of accounts That's got true. hacked. Um, which was not specific to, you know, people hacking the entire service, but apparently there was some sort of thing with the game. We still don't know what the hell that whole thing was about. So they've had their issues too. Um, not as public or as pervasive, perhaps, as, as the PlayStation Network was, but... Uh, you know, people people be hacking Xbox Live accounts here and there, and uh, it it it's, it has been a problem for roughly as long as the service has existed. I mean, like one of the you know some of the other stories I had pulled up to to talk about actually feeds back into this stuff. Like, for sure. example, like one of the things that came up uh, in terms of what Microsoft is uh, requiring, uh, like the services that you you can access with Gold. One of them is you know being able to was uh, the, the game DVR like uh, everyone's calling it different things but basically you in order to use Xbox One's DVR functionality um, you need to have a, a gold service which that does you know to me that does maybe make sense as something yeah. that you would pay for of course this provided a perfect opportunity I don't know if this was already the plan or if this is just Sony going tit for tat with with with, uh, with Microsoft but then you know Shuhei Yoshida on Twitter uh, you know responded to a question about is that required uh, for PlayStation Plus? And, uh, you know, he said no. So there is right there, you know, one of these big bullet points of this coming generation is these consoles embracing streaming, uh, which has been a, a huge thing uh, in, in the last couple of years. And on the PlayStation, you're not going to need to pay for something in order to engage with that service. You know, now if they're, they're smart, then maybe there'll be sort of advanced services that you'll get access to if you have PlayStation Plus, but at least up front, sort of like the very basic uh, DVR functionality that we're looking at, that's not something you're gonna have to pay for on top of uh, the $400 you're spending to get the machine. And that's one of those things where that chips away at Microsoft trying to establish a value proposition for that extra $100, you know, which is largely fueled by Kinect, but they're trying to find you know arguments uh, that they're kind of go around the Kinect part and Sony right. is just in a position to kind of say, nah, you know, this is, we're going to take that away from you. And, you know, that's not a big blow, but it's part of those sort of death by a thousand cuts as we, as we head towards the launch. And I think it's, I think it's interesting and smart that, that Sony chose to not, to not gate that because I think, you know, when you have people weighing that stuff, this is, this is stuff that only appeals to the enthusiasts. Like these are the hardest to the hardcore, but those are the guys that are going to be there at launch. You know, st streaming tech is not, what's going to get my brother on board with buying a new machine, but it is sure. going to get these, the guys that are on message boards, the guys that are, you know, in, in a chat room right now, watching us talk about this stuff. Those are the people that care. And those are the people that are weighing that. And it's those small things that, you know, these people are probably going to buy both machines, or at least there's a good percentage. They're going to buy both, but getting out of the gate and having that positive press like we saw how that hurt Sony in the first couple of years, and it can take a long time to dig out of that hole. Word. All right, your turn for a headline. Throw it at me. All right, let's see. Um, Corey Barlog is back at yeah. Sony, Santa Monica. Yes, he is. 
It's creating something huge after a se- after huge. S- several years of uh, several years of what going to work with uh, Mr. Mad Max. Is that George Miller? Isn't that correct? Yeah, uh, I, I I think so. Yeah. Which uh, that when that whole thing happened, that was strange. When he left Sony to basically go try and make a Mad Max game with George Miller. I mean, that was back when I remember that story broke when N. Guy Kroll was still writing for Newsweek. I remember oh, he, Jesus Christ. All he, right. He broke he broke that news and did like this big story with uh with Barlog and George Miller. Anyway, that's neither here nor there, but uh sounds like he's back there after several years yes. away from, from Sony and I would hope that he is not back to work on God of War four. <laughs> yeah, that would be a real wait, didn't they already make God of War four? Was it Dissension? I, well, I guess yeah, technically that was not, a prequel. Yeah, that was a prequel. So, it's not ex- not exactly four. God of War pfft. Yeah, that's I, I don't know, man. I so Barlog worked on two, which is arguably my favorite of all the God of War games. I love one, but two was like just a much better, more interesting game, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, he went off to do the the, the George Miller. Did, did he actually do anything? Did anything actually come out of that? Because I don't remember anything actually coming out of that. No, nothing that. Yeah. My my understanding when I had heard about the project they were working on was that. This was back when, see what, George Miller, he was going to direct that Aborted Justice League movie, right? Yes. And then I believe it was after so. that that he was he kind of turned his attention back to Mad Max while Warner Brothers was going to pursue Christopher Nolan for all their DC stuff for the next couple of years. And that's when, I believe, uh, Barlog went to go work on the game, the idea being like, well, let's work on this game, this sort of like, you know, cross-media sort of thing. And... In his PlayStation blog uh, entry that, that Barlog wrote for announcing that he's back, he did mention that like he went and consulted with Avalanche, who was working on the new Mad Max game that was <clears throat> announced at E3. So it right. sounds like he is at least has been slightly involved with 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 actually going to actually become a game that ships. Um, but by and large, it appears that you know the way he tells it is that he mostly just spent a couple of years learning storytelling from. George Miller, whatever that Which means, is, I, I don't know, but he just kind of went. That off is to the no movies. bad way to spend a couple of years. I mean, not that you know, I, I, as much as I love the Mad Max stuff, I mean, I, I don't think George Miller is is necessarily the master of all storytelling. But at the same time, I mean, that guy, you know, that guy can spin a yarn if he wants to, and I, I imagine that 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 was probably valuable time. I am very curious to see what Barlog pulls out of this. Um, Again, I really don't want him working on another God of War. I don't really want anyone working on a new God of War well, game at this point. They are. I, can, I, can, I know they I can are, confident- but I don't I want I can it. confidently tell you they are making a God of War game again. No, I know that. I know that they are. I'm saying this in more of a a, 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 a hope and, you know, a, a, a soon-to-be-dashed hope, I am sure. But, you know, just in my heart of hearts, I have had enough of Kratos for a while. There's nothing else they can meaningfully do with that storyline, that character, that stuff without taking some time to sort of, like, redo that whole thing. I mean, unless they're going to straight-up reboot that franchise, which, God, please do not fucking reboot that franchise. <laughs> but what if it was darker and grittier? No, God. I, <laughs> at that point, you are literally just staring into a black hole. I don't know what you even get out of that. So, I yes, I'm hoping this is an original thing. I know that Santa Monica has... Uh, I think a couple of original projects, at least somewhere in early development right now. I'm hopeful it's one of those. He's a talented guy. I'm looking forward to him doing more with them. Uh, again, God of War 2, probably one of my favorites. 
The George Miller thing, it, it, does that studio, does he still have a studio of some kind? Because I remember the guys that worked on um, L.A. Noir supposedly went over to work under that banner on that new thing they were doing. Was it the Horror of the Orient or whatever? But then there was weird stuff around that. Then, like, a video leaked, like, a week or two ago of some early gameplay of that, which looked terrible. But, of course, it did because it wasn't even, like... Wasn't, it wasn't meant point. to be seen by anyone. No, <laughs> every, no one was meant to be seen. Every game that. looks terrible for a long, long time, yeah. especially AAA stuff. Yeah. So, I, I does that does any of that still exist, or I is have, this all man, like in I past have, tense? I now? have no idea. I, I mean, the, the Australia stuff got really strange because a lot of the Australian game development scene sort of collapsed in yeah. the last five years. A lot of um, Australia's scene uh, did a lot of consulting work and a lot of smaller games. Um, like for example, the DeBlob developers, I think they were Blue Tongue. You know, they were yeah. They sort of collapsed as THQ was consolidating. Um, Chrome Studios, who made the tie the Tasmanian Tiger games, which were yes. better than you would expect. Uh, I actually, than a game called that should have been right. Yes. Yeah, they were pretty decent, like above average action platformers, and uh, that studio sort of collapsed and then went under that banner that was related to George Miller stuff. But I don't have a super it's one of those stories that I've actually wanted to, because I know uh, a decent number of people sort of like out there and they've tried to explain it to me and my head just sort of explodes. But right. it seemed like people sort of came together under a, under one roof um, to try and, and make it work. Um, but yeah, I don't know if George Miller's Who knows where that's exists. at now? I don't know. Like the L.A. Noir technology was separate from the studio. Um, right. I don't know if... And they were in a really bad shape post La Noir. They weren't making any money. So I, I don't. I don't know. There are a lot of interesting stories probably <laughs> there that I don't. I don't have any of the answers to. But I do have. A, I have a. I have a, a Corey Barlog story, which. So one of the one of the. First stories I, I broke was when I was back at, uh, One Up, and, I broke the story that Corey Barlog was leaving Sony Santa Monica originally. And right. I, oftentimes I hear or any of us hears information and then you can't do anything with it. It's someone just letting you know, hey, this is happening. You know, it's just sort of the exchange of gossip that occurs uh, in, in, any, in any industry. So uh, I hear all sorts of things that I don't do anything with. And then there are times that I, it's like, oh, I, I want to try and find a way to get this information out there. And so I had heard very early about Corey Barlog leaving. And I mentioned that to some people at the 1UP, and I thought I had mentioned it with the caveat that this was not to be pursued. It was just like, hey, I heard Corey Barlog's leaving. Uh, and then I went to go record some video or something or other, and some unnamed persons went and contacted Sony PR and got confirmation and did a bunch of stuff really early in this reporting huh. process. And the reason it ended up being problematic was that uh, so we ended up like publishing the story really really quickly uh he had just basically put in his two weeks when that Ooh. story then ended up getting published and rather than staying his two weeks he just left um oh. my understanding being that he felt really betrayed that the news got out as quickly as it did and so he didn't he didn't want to spend those last couple of weeks at the studio and I actually felt enormously bad about what happened because sort of the exchange of information that happens is that you're given information uh, and you need to be responsible about how that information is used. And 
there would have been no difference in me publishing that story uh, a couple of days before he left or the day he right. left. And I still would have gotten... The news was the same regardless. The news was the same regardless. And it was more about being respectful to the source that gave me a heads up saying, here's information that is extremely sensitive, like the studio just found out, but here's your heads up. And then oftentimes what I do is I work with sources to figure out when is the best... Like you're approaching sort of this, like you're reporting stuff that's sensitive like that. You are trying to find a position that your source is comfortable with revealing information and that you're trying to reveal information before someone else does it before you. And oftentimes that means that information gets, people beat you to it. They have a source that's more comfortable or, or whatever. And that's fine. Like you, I, you, you'll, another story will come and you just didn't yes. get that one. And this one I felt enormously bad about because not only did it really upset Corey Barlog unnecessarily, it uh, very nearly got uh, my source fired uh, because the studio then did a very intense internal uh, look into how that information got out. Fortunately, um, a number of people had told people about the information, mm-hmm. so they didn't just ceremoniously fire a bunch of people uh, for for sharing information that obviously upset them, which is part of the reason they were sharing it, was like, oh man, Corey is a guy that we really look up to, uh, we really uh, enjoy working with, like, I can't believe he's leaving. So, that, so seeing that news, I immediately went back to this very early place of when I was reporting stuff where, you know, it's part of how you have to be very careful about what you, who you tell information to. Um, you know, the people that I worked with, you know, I, they were just doing what they normally do, which is like, hey, okay, Patrick's got this information. Let's go and verify yeah. this so we can publish it. So that was more me being naive with how I handle information more so than it was how that information was handled by the people then that heard it from me. But yeah, I still, I still to this day feel horrible about <laughs> how that went, and so uh, I don't know. That's whatever. Just an I, interesting, I interesting you, story. I heard how you one up kids were. Whenever you got together, you were worse than a friggin' sewing circle, gabbing on, gabbing on, gossiping, <laughs> what have you. Oh yeah, we're no just one ta- should ever trust any of you. Just talk, just talking about shit about Gamespot all the time. Uh, of course. Uh, how about one more okay. bigish headline and a few small ones, and then we take some questions. All How's right, that, that sound? sounds like a plan. Uh, the only other kind of biggish one I noticed, and maybe this isn't that big because we kind of talked a little bit about this uh, last time, but uh, there was an interview with uh, Satoru Iwata uh, of, of Nintendo, perhaps you've heard of them, uh, where he was talking about uh, the sort of perception out there where a lot of people believe that Nintendo would perhaps be better served bringing their games to other platforms rather than remaining in the hardware race and what have you. Uh, and in, in this talk, he, he basically stated that he believes Nintendo is a particularly unique company in the sense that they, their hardware team and their software team are sort of embedded with one another. You know, the, the hardware and, and the games are all kind of meant to work together in particularly unique ways. They have the teams under the same roof. You know, it's, it's supposed to be kind of a unified front. And that to lose that by going to other platforms or what have you would be sort of uh, what he said was short-sighted uh and also would would you know perhaps rob the company of some of its uniqueness i kind of get what he's saying uh you know especially when you look at the way games are designed for stuff like the 3ds and the wii u which are unique pieces of hardware if not um necessarily the best pieces of hardware uh but at the same time i i think the question is less about whether it's short-sighted for them to do it now 
and more when this kind of Wii U thing shakes out eventually. I'm curious what you think about his his thoughts on this and, and kind of where things are at with them right now. I, th- I think he's spot on in his analysis of sort of what Nintendo's strengths are because I think if the way you would hear uh, Steve Jobs or now Tim Cook talk about Apple is that Apple is a company whose hardware influences their software and their software is as strong as it is because it is, it is tied to an integral uh, to the hardware they produce. And I think Nintendo is very much that kind of company. And I think Sega used to be that kind of company. And I think yeah. while it made sense for Sega to leave the hardware race, they were sort of forced into that corner. I mean, I know that was largely a Japan decision that, that America wasn't necessarily on board with. But I think Nintendo will lose a significant portion, if not a lot of its identity, uh by by getting out of hardware and i think nintendo is not nintendo without producing hardware now obviously they need to start rethinking what it is nintendo producing hardware i Mm -hmm. i believe that the, the the i believe in the theory that they're going to have a sort of joint handheld console system next time out i think 3ds and wii u are this time for nintendo that is they're being brought into the HD generation, they're figuring out network services, all of that stuff is really piss poor, uh, it's, it's, it, it's insultingly bad. Oh god, it is, it is miserable, it, it is it's, absolutely miserable. It's, it's really, you know, I mean, I'm playing Earthbound right now, I'm obsessed with Earthbound right now on, on my Wii U, and it is crazy that I am dragging a Wii U console around my house so that I can continue to play Earthbound, a 1994 or 1995 Super Nintendo RPG. Like, it's crazy there's not enough hardware in that gamepad to just run Earthbound separate from that console. It is crazy that that doesn't just sync to my 3DS and my saves are there and that game is there. Uh, you know, I get yeah. why Zombie U couldn't run on a 3DS, but it there's no excuse for Earthbound to not run. And if you start... You know, if all that stuff was there, it would make the value proposition of having both those devices, I think, a lot more interesting in the way that Sony is sort of writing off the Vita as a dominant hardware platform and conceding that to 3DS and instead saying, how do we make this an interesting value add for the PS4? And I think they're, with PlayStation Plus, making a pretty good argument uh, for, for why you would want one. But for Nintendo, I this next year, a couple of years, I think is soul-searching about what is the future of the company? Because their position in this sort of hardware consolidating landscape uh, where they, I don't think, are just in a position to produce two machines anymore. They just don't have enough R&D to produce software for to support two, two consoles or two, two machines. Uh, what that is going forward, I don't know. But I think it's some sort of hybrid console. I think that there aren't two machines after the 3DS and Wii U. And maybe it's a position where you have a 3DS and then you have a small box, kind of like an Apple TV, that projects your handheld onto the TV uh, so that they can they can kind of be in both uh, without having to produce two really expensive uh, consoles uh, or machines. But I th- yeah, I think that quote speaks volumes about how Nintendo identifies. And if you were to remove the hardware from Nintendo, you'd be remo- removing, I think, a lot of the soul of the company. The problem for me with all of that, and, and I agree with you wholeheartedly it, it, for the most part, but it, the, the one thing that is a problem for me is that they don't understand their own hardware anymore. 
Like, to, the Wii felt very much like a happy accident. Like, someone tried this thing, it seemed fun, so we're going to try that. The DS was similar, you know, it, it, we have this second screen, it's a touchscreen, touchscreens are a thing now, so let's just see what to do with that. And, you know, by, by the grace of whatever, the DS turned into one of the most popular systems of all time. The Wii became this incredible fad. So now they have tried to build on both of those. And we have the 3DS, which is more powerful, sure, uh, but the feature that is theoretically the most important part of it is a thing that almost nobody uses, is the actual 3D part of it. It's right there in the title, and no one cares. Nintendo doesn't even promote it anymore. I like the 3D, the, though. For the record, I think Nintendo does, I like it I think Nintendo does the 3D pretty, pretty well. It's, Super Mario 3D Land is unbelievable in 3D and makes sure. the game a lot better. I like that, and I like Luigi's Mansion. I, I think in every other game, it is basically worthless. Sure. And it's not that it looks bad in most games. It's that it just has no function. <clears throat> it has no purpose. With the Wii U, they have been like, okay, well, we're trying to create this family gaming device, so you still have the Wii remotes, but here's this tablet, because people like tablets now, and yeah, it's like a play school tablet, but at the same time, you know, you can play games on it, and it's, it feels like a million different things they don't completely understand converging on a system. And when you talk about trying to combine those two things into one device in the future, I think that's perhaps the right call, but I also think they have to get a much better handle on what they actually think their future of, ga of gaming hardware is before they even attempt something like that. Because this, I mean, like, as great as the 3DS is doing, it's doing great because there are games people want to play on. It's not because the hardware is some, you know, wonderful device. It's kind of a chintzy piece of shit, especially if you don't have the 3DS XL. I have the original 3DS, and that thing feels like it's going to break on me any given second. Yeah, mine, mine is definitely suffering from the, the clamshell uh, scratching problem, where when you, you fold it, and then just yeah. over time, it starts to create a, a line on it that, you know... Yeah. And, and I'll replace it at some point, but I keep waiting for maybe there to be some sort of price drop before... I mean, it's yeah. like it's totally tolerable. Like, you don't notice it once you start playing, but like the moment you open it and like you kind of reflect it in the light it's like oh yeah, yeah, yeah this machine has scratched itself to death yeah it's it sucks and it, the problem is that their hardware has simply taken a dive you know it, it is just it's not what it used to be in terms of like you know impressing people and i think it's been you know the wii was impressive by virtue of it was something wildly different from what everyone else was doing at the time and it was cheap and it hit you know a certain demographic at the right time they don't have that with this, and because of that, they are in, like you said, this soul-searching place where they have to figure out what it is they're going to do for the future. I don't know what that is, and I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know that they can pull off a device like you described that is actually like a meaningful handheld device that also projects onto a television, because I don't know if they have the people that can make that work in a way that does not put them in the exact same position they are in right now. The handheld market is good for them. It's working well. Maybe the eventual focus is they continue to make their own handheld games. They don't go to iOS or whatever because they don't want to, you know, have that competition. They are still dominating in that market. Maybe when it comes to console games, if they decide, you know, at some point they're going to stop making the Wii U, which, I mean, hell, we might be getting to that point in the next, like, year and a half for, at this point if we're going by Dreamcast timelines. Maybe they do have to move over. I, I don't think it's short-sighted for them to necessarily consider that. Maybe, you know, it isn't the right move at that time, but I don't think it is necessarily the wrong move for them to consider broadening their base beyond just their own hardware. Maybe they continue to make that handheld hardware for themselves, making those games, 
but maybe when it comes to the console market, you know, or hell, the PC market, for God's sakes, maybe there's something to be done over there as well. Maybe it's just a broadening rather than just a, a total retraction of hardware. That's that. That's just kind of my thinking on the whole thing. I think that I think that sounds smart. All right, well, you got you got a. Let's see. Yeah, I got some one-off yeah. bullet point headlines here. Let's do that. And then uh, uh, if people want uh, to start uh, sending questions to me in the chat, just at Patrick Klupik, uh, I'll start queuing up a couple, and we'll get to those after we uh, rush through these headlines. Word. Uh, payday 2 is profitable already before it has even come out. Uh, they did like a paid beta <clears throat> kind of thing, and uh, they have made their money back already. I am kind of impressed with that. How about you? I think it's cool. I it seems like people are psyched for that game. I heard not that great things about the original Payday, even though up front you give me the pitch of team based, go rob a bank. That sounds <clears throat> that sounds fucking awesome. So yeah, I hope this means that Payday Two is good. But people are clearly excited for it, and uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to check it out when when it goes live because uh, the the bit I saw, I think Jeff playing uh, the beta on on Unprofessional Fridays a couple weeks back. Uh, seem seem like that'd be a fun game to play with friends. Yeah, it's at, I've, everything I've heard says it's a lot better than the first one. The first one at least had promise, so I'm hopeful with that one. Uh, Minecraft has sold 8 million copies on Xbox uh, Live Arcade. I've still never played Minecraft. Do I need to play Minecraft? Should I play Minecraft? Uh, it's, it is worth playing Minecraft enough to understand, even if it's not for you, what, yeah. what, what people are... Like what you can, you only have to play like a, a couple of hours to sort of understand. Oh, okay, I see how I'm going to just turn this off, and this does nothing for me. But I understand why people then there are the other people who just go down this enormous rabbit hole of like just I'm going to create whatever. Like I imagine I would have been obsessed with this as a kid. Like the thing, the thing that I does not interest me about Minecraft is the time investment because it is a game about creativity. It's a game about making stuff up out of nowhere in addition to and this, lord knows we're not creative at all no no but i used to be or at least i tried to be when i was a child <laughs> and, and somehow i lost that in, in in growing up but i think if i was a kid i mean other than the fact that minecraft is you know such a low investment uh for just, just to buy it like you can do so much with it it's so moddable and there's so much uh expandability to it that I think I would have found that really fascinating the same way that I found Legos and Lincoln Logs really fascinating when I was a kid. Um, but, I mean, Microsoft continues to be smart in just locking that up. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if that's going to sell consoles necessarily, but clearly people are interested in continuing to pay for Minecraft. I think largely because uh, they want to play a game with their kid. And Minecraft sure. is, you know, unlike Call of Duty or any of the other uh sort of more violent prone uh, games that you can co-op. Uh, Minecraft is a game you can play with young kids and there's a little barrier to entry. So it continues to make sense that they sort of box that one up for, for the Xbox One. Fair enough. Two more for you. Right. And this this one you may have nothing to say at all about. But uh, new uh, story mode announced today for uh, WWE 2K14. 30 years of WrestleMania. Because guess what? WrestleMania has been around for 30 goddamn years <laughs> at this point. You'll be able to play through some of the biggest matches of all time, including Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant, among others. Patrick, as the number one wrestling fan uh -huh. at Giant Bomb, mm -hmm. name, me a uh, name me a WrestleMania match that you would like to see in the game, or just name me a WrestleMania match, period. Oh, uh, I used to watch WrestleMania. I mean, there's the... There was the Undertaker 
put him into the yeah. coffin. There was a put a coffin yeah. match. Yeah, no, 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 no. You're, you're on, you're on, you're on a path here. I can feel you. It sparks are flying. Like Kane, Kane was a wrestler. Yeah, they, they yes, that happened. They wrestled. Okay, okay. cool. We're good right. with that. I mean, I, 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 I was into wrestling for brief two brief periods, mostly back when wrestling was is like at the height of its popularity of like, you know, Hulk Hogan, like Ultimate Warrior, that era, and then lapsed and then became interested in again and sort of when it spiked again in the 90s when you had sort of the uh like wcw like goldberg and the new age 90s wwf characters like stone cold steve austin and the rock so i, I those two periods i was just as interested uh as anyone else because i mean wrestling was just enormously popular back then uh and then yeah, i just sort of fell off from I have, I am no longer I'm no longer a wrestler <laughs> interested in wrestling anymore. But I'm super psyched to listen to to your guys' podcast. Which when is is that going up this week? That's that is up uh, in about two minutes. So oh, it'll awesome. be up uh, once we're done with this, and you can you can listen to our our stupid talk about wrestling because man, uh, it is it gets pretty stupid. But it's it's wonderful. I'm glad we're doing that. Last one, uh, the one million dollar special edition of Saints Row Four. Is that the best idea or the best idea? I think it's a really funny concept, and I hope that someone buys it and then takes them to court over it. Sort of like yes. the Pepsi thing that I was reading oh, yeah. up about, where someone, oh, yeah. I guess at the it was the Pepsi challenge to like or Pepsi caps or something like that, where you had to collect an absurd number, and in a commercial they advertised that you could get like an F sixteen, like some sort of jet and yeah i guess that in, wasn't gonna happen in the contest rules like they stipulated that there was some cash equivalent that you could just write as opposed to collecting the caps and some dude just wrote that and then sued them saying that they should get a, a jet in exchange for that check and a court ruled that hey it was obviously in jest and that you can't get a you can't get a jet for less than like millions and millions of dollars so no i no. hope i hope someone is absurd enough to purchase it and take it to court just because i think I think they. I think that would be just do gangbusters for Saints Row's PR, which they're already doing a pretty good job in the lead up oh, to yeah. the game's release, which is next week, I think. Yes, yes, that is next week. I I pre-ordered it yesterday on on Steam because I was I, I after watching Jeff play some of that. I yeah, I'm 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 bought in. I'm I am sorry. I am so. I'm, I'm not looking at anything about that game. I I don't need to watch any more trailers. I am I've been sold for a while, so I. I'm, I'm just trying to go in as quiet as possible before that game launches next week. Good deal. All right, let's take some user questions. How okay, about that? Let's, let me look. Uh, let me look through here. Um, oh, it's Mo- Mo- like a- Molinator85. I don't have any opinions on this. Maybe you do. Uh, so the Ducktales HD comes out this week. Do you have? Yes, it does. Do you have fond memories of Ducktales for NES? Yes, that's, I do. That's I not something future. that I have any, any, any. No, not negative memories. I just have no memories. Well, okay, so you're... Wait, how old are you now? 28. I was born in 85. So I played okay, the so DuckTales... Okay, so you're only three years younger than me. Yeah, I played the and... DuckTales game. I just, for whatever reason, it did not become an obsession for Well, me. did you watch the show? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. DuckTales and uh, Chippendale, like, obsessed with those. Uh, Rescue Rangers. So I guess Jeff was the opposite. He played the game and thought it was good. Never... He was too old. Like, he, he was he was aged out by the time the, the Disney Afternoons thing even started up. So he has no affection for the for the show whatsoever. I liked both quite a lot. Um, you know, I watched... Uh, I saw the DuckTales movie um, whenever that came out. Uh, I, I played the game. I never owned it, but I rented that game a lot and played it pretty obsessively. It's a great game. You know, the old one is still a great game. And... Uh, 
I, you know, I'm, I, I think the new one looks really, really solid in terms of visuals and, and gameplay. I'm a little less enamored with all the voice acting they tossed in, but other than that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. I think it'll, I think it'll be good. Uh, Jester PC 238 related to the wrestling podcast. He says, I'd like to get caught up on wrestling for the power bomb cast. Is there anywhere I can get a good summary of what's up? Like, do you have any recommendations for people that, you know, I think a lot of people maybe float in and out of wrestling. Like, you yeah. know, like, you know, when they bring the rock back, that's like a, a bit where they're trying to get the people who had nostalgia for the nineties to come back in and pay attention. So is there like any place you follow or anything you would recommend for people? There's not a great direct resource for that stuff. Um, my my suggestion would be to read a bunch of recaps of maybe like the last you know couple months worth of shows. The the the, the wrestling guy at With Leather, uh, the 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 sports blog, uh, Brandon Stroud. He writes a best and worst of Monday Night Raw column every week. That is, if you like wrestling at all, I think it's relatively required reading. Uh, he's he's one of the smarter, funnier people writing about wrestling on a regular basis. If you want to kind of get a sense of where things are at, like his columns are a very good place to start. Also, uh, David Shoemaker, aka the Masked Man, uh, over at Grantland, writes a pretty good column as well. His is more just sort of you know similar to the the Guns of Navarro style, just kind of ruminations and thoughts on wrestling. But there's a lot of good stuff in there as well. There's no good place to just like get caught up on like them. I mean, you go to WWE.com and just see like what matches happened and you know storyline stuff. But it's it's all pretty scattered in terms of like what clips they'll have and that kind of thing. So it really the only way to get back into it is to just dive headfirst back in. That's kind of what I did when Raw went back to three hours. Um, three hours. Yeah. Oh my god! It is a three-hour show on Mondays. Oh my god! And I, uh, I totally, you know, that was like, all right, I have to see what the hell they're gonna do with three hours. And you know what? That was right around the time it started getting watchable again. So I got sucked back in. Yeah, like about an hour of that is meaningless, but there's like two solid hours of show usually in every Raw or most Raws. So I just start, just start watching, just start watching and read a couple episodes back, and you'll be caught up pretty much. Uh, there's there's a bunch of people in the chat asking me uh, about Earthbound, which I mentioned that I've kind of become obsessed with recently, and it's I remember I distinctly remember Earthbound's advertising, like it was very distinctive back in the day. They had the scratch and smell uh, stuff that they were giving away, I think in the box or as part of a promotional thing, and then you know there's the big yellow, I think it's the Starman like yeah. sort of guy, like that was a big part of the advertising, like they. They really pushed Earthbound. Like, they wanted to make this, like, a big tentpole franchise for the company. I think it was later in the in, in the, the SNES's life, but I might be off on, on my date. But I remember just seeing, if you were reading Nintendo Power and EGM, like, they were pushing Earthbound. And it was a complete flop. Like, it didn't do well for them, especially relative to how much they put into to pushing it. So I remember playing it back in the day, just like I think anyone. Like, I was renting most of my games from Blockbuster and a place called Family Video. And I rented Earthbound. I remember playing a couple hours. For whatever reason, it didn't really hook me. You know, I was, you know, 1994 or 95. You know, I was, you know, I was nine or ten at the time. So I'm not sure if I was fully prepared for Earthbound's sort of eccentric humor. I just don't think I was old enough to appreciate what was unique about it in the way that, you know, it was kind of like part of the way it's written and part of the reason it's set in sort of ordinary settings is to try and distance itself from the fantastic. Uh, that is so many other RPGs, even as, you know, the game is super weird and has aliens and a lot of the other tropes, but it, it's sort of breaking the wall. And I, I just wasn't, I just wasn't in a mental place to really appreciate that. So I was curious playing it now, whether 
sort of its older conventions wouldn't hold up. And I have not found it to be a problem whatsoever. I think Earthbound holds up exceptionally well. Uh, I've actually been really enjoying playing it with sort of a walkthrough, uh, just opened up in like, like the, the recent Wii U firmware update, the one from a couple months back that like speeds up the, like being able to tab between applications, makes it so that I'm using this gamepad in one of the ways that was not useful before because it was so slow, which is I'm playing Earthbound in the virtual console and then I hit the home button, go to the internet browser. I've got the walkthrough loaded up there. Uh, and I don't explicitly use the walkthrough to know where to go next, but I am lowering my bar of frustration when it's like, okay, the game's trying to be a little too clever and I'm not willing to talk to everyone in the town for the fifth time to figure out what to do next. I'll just consult the walkthrough and move on. Like for example, there's one puzzle where you're trying to get this band out of debt and you try and show the venue manager the money to, that you've earned to get them out of debt. And she says, oh, bring it closer. And I was like, I don't know what that means. And it means you have to walk around the desk and literally stand next to them so they can see the money closer. And I just Ugh. did not, you know, it's it's clever once I knew what it was. Like, I was yeah. like oh, okay, that's funny. But I just, I ended up wandering around for 20 minutes. And so it's been useful to just tab into that walkthrough. And I found the walkthrough uh, helps uh, lower the frustration of, what is often what you do in RPGs, which is just wandering around talking to people and hoping you come across the piece of dialogue that puts you in the right direction. I mean, the game actually compensates for that in a little bit of some of the towns have a guy who's running a hint hut and you just pay 60 bucks and he just tells you what to do next. So sure. like it, it again, like the game is, is super clever. The, the writing holds up really well. Uh, the combat is, is basic, but fun. Uh, and I'm actually planning, I'm about, almost halfway through the game but i'm going to start writing sort of like a earthbound travelogue uh as i as i kind of make my way through through the back half so i'm planning today or tomorrow to sort of write up a little uh, ruminations of where i'm at so far but i even though it's more expensive than most games on virtual console if you have a wii u like and you've never played earthbound it's not that tough to to get into and i think it's starman.net which is the place that is sort of like the big earthbound resource for that franchise for for a number of years uh they've got a really great walkthrough uh that tells you about the little bits that you might miss along the way so yeah highly recommend playing it i'm gonna i'm gonna write some stuff about it as i continue to go through it but yeah, i'm i'm really really enjoying it yes you never play earthbound is all i have to say to that i i have not actually started playing through earthbound yet uh, i downloaded it right before i started uh traveling which i'm going to be doing every goddamn weekend this month i swear to god um but i at some point i will sit down and i will play that because i never played it as a kid i never even touched it so all right i am very curious la uh last question i will right. i will throw to you because people are asking are you I, i'm gonna put you on the spot i'm gonna oh man i already know what this is guns and navarro where is it? yes is it coming so, back uh, yeah, yeah, it's coming back. Uh, so when certain events... So I had planned to take a couple weeks off, and then uh, certain events transpired, sure. which conspired to make me not really focus on that for a while. And then I started traveling uh, last week, and I'm traveling through pretty much the rest of this month. Uh, that said, I do want to bring it back. I like doing it. It also stresses me the fuck out for no good reason. Uh, I get, I put way too much stress into that for, for, for what it actually needs, but that's just, that's that's my personality. So that said, I do want to bring it back. I like doing it. I know that people like it. I would like to continue on. So I'm going to say, let's just say we get through this. Let's say we get through PAX and then I'm I'm going to come back and start doing it every week again. Okay. And you're going to, you're going to be at PAX, right? 
I am going to be at PAX. I'm going to be there with everyone else. And uh, this is my first PAX since I was technically a Harmonix employee. So uh, I have not been to PAX Prime in quite some time. Has I, it changed at all? No. Uh, you still, you still so. don't want to uh, sit on the beanbags. They still no. They don't clean those very well. So don't sit on the beanbags. Rule no, number no, no, one no, no, of no. PAX, PAX Prime or PAX East and probably of PAX Australia as well. Yeah. I, I, I don't... I, no, I was going to be really racist there. I'm not going to do it. But um, <laughs> it, it, no, I, I, I am looking forward to it. I haven't been to Seattle in a long time. I love, I, I loved the couple of packs I did as a, as a harmonics dude. And I would love to actually be able to go and hang out at that show and not have to work a booth the whole time. So I am looking forward to seeing you as well, as I have not seen your face in quite some time uh, other than here on this thing, which is not the same because I can't reach out and touch it. It's true. Touch it. It's true. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, I think that's going to, that's going to bring this, this, uh, Bombing in the AM with Scoops and the Wolf. I'm yeah. Gonna, I'm going to make you do an awu every time we close out. <laughs> uh, that's great. So uh, there will be an archive of this on the site a little bit later. Um, this gets automatically archived to YouTube, and I have to wait for the higher quality versions to get archived, which takes like an hour and a half. So as soon as that goes through, uh, the video will go up on the site. Um, we're also now... Fingers crossed this works. If not, we'll figure it out for next time. Uh, recording the audio separately uh, because the audio is, it sounds pretty good in the video, but it is a little bit garbled. And so we're recording the audio uh, in a program separately for the podcast version, which should hopefully sound a little bit better for people who are uh, just listening to the audio version. But uh, we will be back again on Friday. And again, reserve the right to, to do this more often than that. But I think we'll, at least for right now, uh, commit to Monday and Friday. And, uh, do you have anything you want to? Are you doing anything this week you want to plug or? Uh, I'm gonna try and finish reviewing Pikmin, uh, which I played through pretty much all of when I was out there. Um, I'm gonna try and do that. Uh, we got the wrestling podcast, which is up now uh, for premium subscribers. If you want to check that out. Uh, other than that, I think I'm basically just gonna sit here with no pants on and watch Salty Bet for the rest of the day. Cause man, that shit is fucking addictive. Uh, yeah, I will say there was some questions in the chat about like. Hey Patrick, you should do a feature on Salty Bet, and I think at this point, uh, oh yeah, <laughs> might, oh yeah, I might, I might have to, and then I'll be doing uh, uh, Spooking with Scoops later this week at a a day to be determined, but my guess is Wednesday night. Um, so uh, look forward to all of that and the other I things like on Giant Bomb this week, and uh, we will see you guys on Friday. Bye, Alex. Word. <laughs>